You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today, I'm talking to Jason Chenoweth, who is the CEO of Outreach, Inc., and that is an organization that deals with uh, youth experiencing homelessness. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'm I'm honored to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about Outreach, Inc.? What do you do? Uh, Your website is outreachindiana.org, and if people went there, what would they find? What, What are some of the services that you offer to the community? Yeah, Outreach is an organization that's been in Indy. Uh, we've been around about 23 years, and we work in a pretty specific uh, section of our community. We work with and walk with uh, teenagers and young adults who are homeless. So we work with anybody between the ages of 14 and 24, and the youth that we serve and help uh, tend to be homeless on their own. So these aren't young people who have a mom or a dad and they're on the streets. These are youth who have found themselves completely by themselves. And so we do everything from just trying to provide basic needs of food and clothing and, you know, shampoo, uh, to providing laundry services and showers to help them finish school or get employed, go to college, uh, find an apartment, uh, different pieces, try to walk with them as they they work their way, hopefully, out of the situation of, of being homeless. How does someone find themselves in that situation? You know, Chris, that's the million-dollar question, and rarely is it as easy of an answer as we want it to be. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of times I've, well, you know, I've, I've had opportunities when I've told people what I do, and they've actually looked at me and said, there are no homeless youth in Indy. <laughs> and, you know, I, I kind of paused for a second going, you do know what I just said my job is, you know, but I understand that because homeless youth aren't seen. Um, you know, they, they're not panhandling, they're hiding. And, and part of that is because people become homeless for hundreds of different reasons. Uh, you really can truly be someone who's employed and working hard and still become homeless. Mm. You can be mentally healthy and become homeless. Uh, you know, we have youth who, you know, I, I think of one young man we have who's been with us for a few years who was from out of state. Uh, his grandfather and some family members came to Indianapolis and left him here as a kid and went wow. back home. Um, and he just found himself homeless. I've met young people who, you know, I, I met a man from the East Coast whose mother moved out here to be with a, a guy that she met online. And he had been in a gang on the East Coast and wanted to get his life straight. So he moved to Indianapolis. And by the time he made his way here, the man had kicked his mom out. She was homeless, had nowhere for him. And so he came to us and goes, I'm, I'm homeless in a city where I know nobody. What do wow. I do? Um, you know, we have young people who are in a situation where their family just is in poverty. They're multi-generational poverty. They've been in poverty for you know, generation after generation. And um, they may be the oldest sibling. And the, the family just can't afford to take care of everyone. So the oldest one voluntarily 
a little move out onto the streets by themselves so that the family can still receive, you know, the subsidy help from them and to not have to spend money on them. So they just move out and find their own way. And a lot of these youth continue to go to school every day, uh, try to graduate, they go to college, they get a job, but they just don't have the resources that they need to be safe and secure. If you were to put a number uh, on it, like how many people do you serve? How many people would you estimate that fit your criteria of, of homeless youth between 14 and 24 in Indianapolis? Yeah, you know, every year we work with about 500 youth. Uh, wow. Some of those come one time and need help once, and then they're off again on their own. Others are at our drop center, you know, three, four times a week. Uh, the numbers are very hard to come by just because, like I said, they, you know, a homeless youth doesn't raise their hand and tell you where they are. Uh, in fact, if they're under 18 and homeless in our state, it, they're considered a runaway, and being a runaway is illegal. So they really have to keep a low profile. Um and so the estimates that we've seen are somewhere in the area of 2,000 homeless uh, youth and young adults in Marion County. Uh, you know, the point in time counts that we do where they, they try to estimate that every year kind of change. But uh, the last few years, that's been the rough number that's been hovered around is, is what we think there are. So I would guess that that, you know, that 14 to 18 where that's, illegal, uh, yeah. being a runaway. I, you know, the experience in, for instance, the, uh, the immigrant community is, uh, because of illegality, they don't want to pop, pop up and get services and they're much more, they're at a higher likelihood of being trafficked or abused. Is mm -hmm. that, is that the same in this category? Of, oh, it definitely can be. Yeah. You know, we, so we, we have two sides to our organization. One side really works out of our, our drop center that we have. We have a building on New York Street, uh, East New York, just outside of downtown, that we have a lot of youth, you know, 300, 375 youth a year will come through the doors there. And then we have a team that works in the local public high schools with youth who are identified as homeless. A lot of those youth are, you know, uh, they say they're staying with friends. Um, you know, the phrases you'll hear are doubled up or couch surfing. Uh, so they're bouncing from place to place, floor to floor. And by being off the street and being in school showing up, you know, they can kind of stay under the radar and stay engaged. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely can be a very dangerous place. Just because they're not on the street doesn't mean they're safe at all. Uh, you know, trafficking is a big issue. It, it looks a little different in that these youth will end up, uh, some of them, uh, a minority of them will end up trading sex for a place to stay. So um, they're, they're moving around, but they're still in that situation. Uh, then we have homeless youth who just are in the, the stereotypical trafficking situation where they don't have any freedoms. Um, so we see those things for for male and female youth, for sure. Uh, you know, and then it, it varies. Some of them are underground and, and keeping quiet. Some of them are up front and speaking up and trying to change things. There's a youth advisory council that some of our youth sit on, and they meet with the mayor and talk to different organizations and try to bring change. So there's a, a broad spectrum to how the youth deal with it. 
unfortunately, there's uh, such an amount that that broad spectrum exists. Uh, We're talking to Jason Chenoweth, who is the CEO of Outreach Inc. Their website is outreachindiana.org. So the pandemic is obviously at the forefront of everyone's mind, and I'm sure it's on the forefront of the mind of the of the people that you serve. Uh, how is this affecting you know those experiencing homelessness under the age of 24? Yeah, it's you know again because we don't see them, it's hard to to gauge that. But as we talk to the youth face to face as we can, um, there's some things that are pretty easy to see. So if you have a youth who's living in a shelter if they're old enough, 18 or above, and they're in a shelter, uh, typically on a given day when they come out, they have to have somewhere to go. You know, the shelters don't let them stay through the day for safety reasons. And so they leave the shelter in the morning and they have to go and find somewhere to be throughout the day. Some of them were employed uh, with service industry jobs. Uh, you know, a lot of them work hard to try to support themselves. Those jobs evaporated pretty quickly in this process. Um, a lot of them have had a hard time getting accepted for unemployment for different reasons. So, you know, then after that, so you go, okay, so where does someone go? If you go downtown, you see the signs, you know, no public restrooms, no loitering. And, and I understand those signs and why they have them. But there are places that homeless youth could go and be safe and have a place to be. You know, the public libraries were one of them, uh, bus stops, different places. Well, all of those places have closed uh, pretty quickly. And so we ended up in a situation where with the youth who's trying to take care of themselves, living out of a shelter, now during the day, they have nowhere to be. Uh, there's nowhere they can go that's safe. So they're struggling with that issue. Uh, food security is, is a growing issue very, very quickly. And it's across the country, but in our city, it is a very real issue. Uh, really delivering food had become one of the smaller things that we had done as an organization. We had honestly scaled back over the last few years because there was uh, a lot of opportunities for people to get food. Our youth were able to get enough employment to, to feed themselves. And we have actually had to start a food delivery program uh, almost from scratch instantly. We've been working with Shepherd Community, Second Helpings, and some different churches and nonprofits have came in to volunteer as drivers. And so we went from giving out very little food on a weekly basis. We did meals once a day, and we had some grocery bags we would give out. To Within a week, we had to scale up a delivery service. And in the first week, we delivered over 200 uh, grocery boxes and meals. And we know that number is going to begin to climb quickly. I mean, that was just with the, the names we knew to ask. Right. Uh, that was without any promotion on the street at all. So we're, we're looking at continuing that, that program throughout the summer. Even once we open everything back up, many of us get the opportunity to go back to work in our offices. We're eating lunch out at a modified way again. The food scarcity issue is going to continue for our, our community for months. And so um, that has been a huge change. And you know, talking to Shepherd, talking to Second Helping, um, you know, the different food banks. It's it's interesting because as I've talked to some of the leaders of those places, even though a lot of the volunteer-run uh, food distribution sites, whether it's a church that had a, a food pantry that would give out food or different places, a lot of those are closed. The volunteers aren't coming. Uh, they're, they're staying home. So there's less distribution points. 
but the city, the organizations that give out food are giving out two, three, four times as much food, even though they have a third of the distribution points open. I mean, the need is just really big. Have you heard um, in these conversations, you know, I, I went to Meyer for my weekly shopping trip yesterday and there was still, I mean, it was still pretty bare. I mean, we're mm-hmm. a month into this and, you know, Smithfield shutting down in South Dakota is going to uh, put a strain on things like pork. It's yeah. it's only going to continue to increase. H- have you heard from Shepherd or Second Helpings or some of these folks, like, is there... A, I mean, are they having a tough time finding food like many of us are having a tough time finding some of these products? And B, is there something that the listener can do to help alleviate the, you know, if those of us who have extra food that we overbought three weeks ago, how do we get that to people like you or to Shepard? How do we solve some of the food security issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so, yeah, these are issues for everybody. So, you know, with the, some of the shutdowns in the meat processing plants, uh, everybody's kind of uh, stealing ourselves for the fact that we're not going to have access to that meat the way we have. Um, I don't think it's a, a panic situation. It's just going to be less. And so a lot of the, the food pantries and the distribution points, you know, really historically kind of live off the excess of food that we have. And uh, a lot of the donations that have come to someone like Second Helpings or different places is from the excess food that's been produced that isn't used. And with that not being the case, that tightens everybody's belt on the supply line of this. Um, You know, I think that the things that you can do to get involved, uh, if you, uh, you know, have a nonprofit that you are uh, a partner with or a supporter of or that you are aware of, just checking to see, are they distributing food right now? And if they are, you know, whether you want to check with them and see if they want to take physical donations of food, you know, a lot of organizations are, we do. Um, People can drop that off and still every nonprofit that's up and running right now has figured out the social distancing issue. Another thing you can do is just any type of financial donation and you can tag it for an organization saying you want it to go to food distribution. Um, you know, for most nonprofits, uh, the resources that are coming into the nonprofit has decreased and the demands and needs of that nonprofit have increased. And so, uh, you know, if you aren't sure who to go to, Second Helpings is a great one. Uh, they, they take care of a lot of nonprofits in town. So you can go straight to them. Um, you know, if you, you see there's been some large gifts to them, but they operate on such a scale, those large gifts go away really quick. They, they get used for the city. So, you know, I think you can donate physical items if you have them, or if you want to, you know, like we have on our website, a, a most important needs list that we update all the time. You can go to most websites and find what they need, buy it, drop it off. Um, anything you can do. The thing I would encourage you is don't assume that you can't do enough to make a difference. Uh, it takes our whole city right now to help. This is a systematic problem. This isn't something that just happened because of COVID-19. It's an issue we always have. It's just bigger right now. And so it takes all of us just pulling together to do anything we can to help our community. So you mentioned couch surfing and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously if you're homeless, the advice of go home, you know, let those of those who have have contracted the disease, you know, go home, yeah. get some rest, 
get plenty of fluids, just take it easy, watch Netflix. Uh, if you are ho- if you're homeless, then you don't really have that opportunity. And you know the the economic situation. You've also mentioned, you know, uh, uh, they're the first they're the first ones to get cut in in mm-hmm. an economic downturn like this. So, is there a place? Is there some sort of system that's being set up? I mean, how how are we handling those who contract the disease in the homeless community within Indianapolis? You know, we are, we're really fortunate in Indianapolis when you compare us to a lot of other large cities across the country and that our, our city and local governments have been aware of the issue of homelessness and have been working hard for quite a while to try to put in place some, some large answers and to help out our community. And so, you know, whether it's the mayor's office or commissioners or whoever, they've been working hard at this. Um, there have been some very quick steps that were taken. There, there is a place in town where when someone does test positive from our homeless community, there is a place that they can be taken for isolation and care. The, the challenge for us is, you know, especially, like I said, for us working with youth, is to, to get them to go get tested um, if they get sick. And because a lot of a lot of the folks who are homeless, they tend to walk around with a lot of the symptoms that we talk about of COVID-19 every year. I mean, you know, it's very difficult to stay healthy when you're on the street, when you don't have good nutrition, you don't have a safe place to sleep, you don't have adequate clothing. I mean, all of those things contribute to a lack of health on a regular basis. Um, so while the city has done a very good job of working hard on this, it is still a, a concerning issue. You know, if you check like Wheeler, if you look at the stories they've had of how they've been trying to, how do you figure out social distancing and yet care for as many people as you can in a shelter, this is a large scale challenge. Um, shelters are not set up for social distancing. You know, the idea is let's provide as Let's provide housing for as many people as we can on an emergency basis. So they've had to really work on this. Um, so this issue of, of you know, COVID-19 and how do we deal with it as a community, it's an incredible challenge when you move into the, the homeless community on how to, to work with it. Um, and that brings a lot of fear to the folks who are homeless. You know, again, whatever your stereotype is of someone that you think is homeless, I would encourage you broaden it because as you get to know people and you hear their stories, while the stereotypes are part of the community, it's a small part of the community. Uh, most of the folks who find themselves homeless, whether they're 15 years old or 50 years old, have a ton in common with you and I and are very similar in how they see the world and approach the world. And, uh, as much as this scares us, it's scaring them. And so anything we can do to help, you know, it, it helps our whole community. So final question for Jason Chenoweth, who is the CEO of Outreach Inc. Their website is outreachindiana.org. If you'd like to go get information uh, from them and, and help volunteer or donate, and uh, you can find that information at outreachindiana.org. Uh, I, I always ask this at the end of every show, uh, what is the thing that you see on a daily basis that most of us may just not know and take for granted and you just go, wow, I wish everybody knew this. You know, that's a, that's a really insightful question. Um, I think the thing that surprises people the most is if you would stop by our program center, our drop center on a, a day when 
the youth are all there. You know, there's 40 or 50 youth in the building. And you come in and you go, okay, I'm going to go spend some time with teenagers and young adults who are homeless. They, they lack all the basic necessities that I take for granted. And you kind of have this idea of what you're going to walk into. And then you walk into the room and there is so much laughter and there's so much hope and there's community that forms really fast. And so many of the young men and women are just incredibly smart and gifted and really generous people. Um, I mean, there's, there's always challenges and problems in any group, but I, I never cease to be amazed at how often when I'm in the building, the amount of laughter that I hear. And you think about how often maybe we laugh in a given day. And we would say, well, it's because of all the stress and challenges. But then you spend time with these young people and, and how much hope and laughter they have in the face of challenges far greater than what you and I face, Chris. I think that's the thing I wish people could see um, because it changes the face of homelessness for you when you, when you meet these people and get to know them and see what's happening. Um, there's a lot of potential and hope. It just takes people being involved on a relational basis. Jay Chenoweth, CEO of Outreach Inc. Their website is outreachindiana.org. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I am your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again soon with Now Hear This. Do you like to listen to podcasts about insider political information? deep dives into the libertarian philosophy, and futile arguments over the non-aggression principle, then Gingerarchy is not for you. I'm Trisha Stewart-Mann, and on Gingerarchy, I have fun conversations and interviews with my liberty friends that are at the top of their fields and putting principle into practice through libertarian philosophy. This is not a stuffy philosophy podcast where people simply talk about principles. You're going to hear people living them out and will hopefully be inspired to do the same. Subscribe now in your podcast app or find it on gingerrpodcast.com.